I better be doing what I fucking want to be doing. Right. If I'm not doing what I want to be doing, I better be learning a shit ton from it. And if I'm not learning things and I don't want to be doing it, I better find something else to do. Welcome to Insert Human. This is a show that is not for everyone. It's for seekers, people like you, hopefully, who are searching for solutions to your problems, the world's problems, and everything in between. The conversations to come are going to show you how finding the truth of our humanity is the magic key to solving pretty much anything. Between my monologues, my dialogues with brilliant guests, and your good questions, you're going to learn how to insert human into everything and in doing so, realize a better life and one day a better world. We are lucky to have the guy on the other end of the Zoom call with us today. I actually started getting a little teary there. No, seriously, I've known Tom, Tom Ferber, for, I I was thinking in the middle of the night, I think it's 20 years. (laughs) Pretty wild. That's insane. So Tom and I met. 20 years ago when he was radically running a company called Home Runs, which I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, was one of the first or the first grocery delivery services. Is that right? Yep. Home delivery, yep. Tom was my, this is my view. This is not Tom's view. Tom was like the golden child at, at Hannaford's, which is a major grocer in the Northeast. And they were bold enough to see the future and bold enough to give Tom the mantle of creating the first ever grocery delivery service. I mean, this is way before Peapod and all the other, all the other alternatives. Peapod was in Chicago. Peapod was in, is that right? And anyway, so Tom and I met, I was running an agency at the time. We met through that sort of context. And then just over time, I got, I don't know. It's not like we're best of friends, but we're really good friends who don't see each other very, very much. But whenever we talk to each other, I certainly come away having derived a lot of value and a lot of comfort and a lot of, in a positive way, challenge. And, and one of the things I love about Tom's brain is it's non-conforming. And he's his own person that sees the world in his own way. And that way, for me, has been very resonant. It's, as I said, it's, it's, it's taught me some things that I truly value. And we continue with that dialogue as intermittent as it may be. So a couple other sort of professional things for Tom, and then I want to, I want to get into the, today's conversation. At some point, Tom created, I think you call it a joy practice. Is that, is that right? Yes. And actually wrote a book about joy. And my, my sort of paraphrasing of the title is joy is a choice, but the exact title remind me was it's your choice. Really? Yeah. It's your choice. And that at the time when Tom wrote the book, when he was doing his work around the, 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 the idea of joy and, and he told me about the book and he told me the title and he, and I, I heard that joy was a choice. That was a profound moment for me. And it's actually carried forward in my work, in the uh, writing that I do, the speaking I do, and the coaching that I do, that pretty much for most of us, certainly not all of us, everything's a choice. You know, fear, to fear, feel fear or not feel fear is a choice. And it's just making the choice and then what we do to support the choice. And I think we'll want to dig into that a little bit later. And then, and, and then we're going to jump to wh- where Tom is today, and I'll ask him to, to explain what High Mowing Organic Seeds is all about and what, what, what your role is there now. Well, I, I'm the CEO of the company, and we're the largest 
organic vegetable seed only company in the in the US. And we're very mission driven and we're looking to turn agriculture and growing on its on its head and get back to local local communities, local small diversified farms and, and supporting growers. That's great. And we, we, Tom and I were talking the other day and I asked him how business was and both maybe not surprisingly, but interestingly, your direct to consumer business is up significantly. Is that right? During the yeah, COVID? We, we focus primarily on, as I said, the small diversified farm and, and home gardeners. And I think a lot of people are evaluating their food choices and starting gardens. So we, we did the last since COVID, we've our sales increased by three times with home gardeners. It's very exciting to see all the all the raised beds going in and hear from folks that are tasting and growing their own food and feeling that connection. It's really, really important and core to what what we're trying to do. Yeah. So, so actually, let's 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 use that as our t- jumping off point to, you know, everybody's talking about the impact of COVID economically, societally, culturally. You know, my question is humanistically, no right or wrong, but what's your take on how this is sort of moving people in a good way or a bad way? What what do you see? Chris. (laughs) There's no right or wrong. Come on. Don't be Uh, shy. You push me. You push me too. I'm not. But why are people all of a sudden doing raised beds garden? I read read something the other day, by the way, that that raising chickens in the backyard is like that business is up a thousand percent. Yeah, it's the greater the uncertainty, the more people want tactile things that they can control and that make them feel feel good about. I think earlier you mentioned that fear is a choice, and I think fear is something that everybody experiences, and it's what we do with it that's a choice. So COVID is one of those things that you know movies have been made about how scary something like this would be, and right. I think it fundamentally it it rearranges what's important like if you're going to be killed or your neighbor's going to be killed or you know by something that they can't see can't understand how important is how much money you have i mean to some degree it's important but i mean it might have helped you get to an experimental treatment that then the fda and the cdc decided wasn't effective (laughs) so you might have jumped in too early but I think what I'm seeing is, I'll back up, Chris, we had a conversation years ago in, in the park in Boston on the common, on a, one of the park benches, and we were just talking about existential things and, and God. And I've, I've had a feeling that and thought that things are going to speed up. And it's a thought I've had for many years now, and it's going to be very, very hard as things speed up for people who hold on to pattern thinking that is based on I'm okay if I have this material thing. And we've seen multiple cases over the last 10 years where that material thing doesn't save somebody. And really what, what, what matters is what, do you know who you are? Do you know what's important to you? Knowing who you are is I mean, that's one of the central things of your and my conversations over the years. And it's very hard to know who you are. Right. And there, there's a lot not to like, you know? Right. Maybe um, why you don't want to know who you are. <laughs> and, and the people who continue to rationalize away, me included, the biases that I have that create pain for myself and diminish them, the, the more likely I am to be increased in increased pain when something like COVID comes up. 
Right. So one of my responses to COVID is to read things that help me sleep, not that add to mm -hmm. me not sleeping well. Because if I don't get sleep, I'm gonna I'm gonna be more likely to get sick. Right. Right. And that's you know, increasing your sleep, you know, short of taking drugs and which are fine. A, a huge help to take those. I'm I'm not I'm not against that in any way. But it's a big job. It's a choice to how do you, how do you conduct yourself so you can sleep well. Right. And part of that may be a medical protocol. But it, it it's the, that I would prioritize sleep. Trying to run a company through the type of growth that we've had is counterintuitive to me, based on my training as what an executive should be. Right, I should be present all the time. You know, <laughs> on twenty four seven. Yes, and that's the best. That, you know, that's the best way to go. But it actually is a horrible model for for something that might be going on for a long, long time. It's funny. I have one quick reaction to that is I, I think you know this. I'm I'm not really a podcast guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but in, in I was sort of encouraged to do this based on my speaking and writing and whatever. And I'm like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And so, but in doing it, I'm like, I, I got to start listening to podcasts because I should know the milieu that I'm entering into. And so, this is probably two months ago. I I just randomly went on some podcast, you know, channel, and the first thing I saw was this podcast about Maslow and I'm a I'm a huge believer fan of Abraham Maslow's work so I'm like oh I'll listen to that I click on it and uh, it was all about the importance of sleep as like foundational need you know like essential to one's ability to self-actualize like not just a function you know sort of a, a, a foundational capacity to realize one's full potential and, oh, by the way, improve one's immunity system, improve, you know, da, da, da. But um, ever since then, I've had a consciousness or awareness and appreciation and made effort to do exactly what you just said. Like my ability to be a high-performing anything is in part predicated on am I sleeping well, right? Yeah. I, I love Shogun. I don't know if you've ever read that. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, reading it in the 80s and like, I probably read it 20 times. And when Toronago would get so stressed and think that it was the end, he would lie down <laughs> or, you know, he'd say, well, hopefully tomorrow I'll get some new information because I got nothing here, you know? <laughs> and the, the idea of waiting a day, right. you know, that, that pressure that I feel that, you know, my little rat brain jumps on that. I got to know this about myself. I want an answer and I want it settled and I want it done now. Right. And I, I think if I hit it with a hammer, that it'll, that'll be fine. Right. And, and then it'll be done. But then, you know, it usually isn't. Right. And it, knowing that I'm, I've got my little rat brain going and seeing it and then saying, well, do you really have to decide right now? Can I, can I wait? Can I wait till I wake up in the morning and see if, you know, cogitate on it? Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't know. It, it's the thing I don't know is I was, I was leaning into to be able to do that, to stop that rat brain thing a long enough to, to sleep on it has required me to like being alone. Talk, talk more about that. What is it? Why, 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 why is that? Because there are so many pieces of input coming at you 
coming at me, I can't speak for everybody, but coming at me, there are so many pieces of input, like what song I'm listening to. And if I'm driving in the car, what, what podcast I'm listening to or, right. And um, don't forget the economist. It's important that you. <laughs> and then what person's talking to me, you know, you know, I, I'm sitting quietly. This, I'm sure this happens to you. You're sitting quietly. It's early in the morning. You've got the, you're, you're thinking you're doing, you're doing the dishes after dinner. Right. You're thinking and somebody, you know, one of your family members says, Hey, Tom, Hey, Papa, would you, what, would you, I, I can't find my sock or whatever. Mm-hmm. And your whole train of thought is gone. <laughs> right. And you want to say, would you please be quiet so I can finish this? I'm doing some programming here. I'm doing some important coding work and they don't know. And to, to have my response be, would you shut up? I'm busy. I'll get back to you in a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. Uh, doesn't really work either. Right. So I, so to have the, the capacity back to sleep so that I can calmly respond to that, pick up my thought again, or let it go and, know, and have confidence that I'll pick up my thought again. But I, I need the time, the quiet time, to process. And I'll put on headphones, not, not headphones with anything coming out of them. No, no, I understand. Just the yeah. silence, right? Yeah, in the house when I really, really want quiet. And, and my family just knows that... I'm not available. It, but to create that alone time, I, I, I've had to like myself, for lack of a better word. Because if the only voice I was hearing, hearing in my head was what a dickhead I am, right. I don't really want to be alone. I want the stimuli, right? And that was, uh, you know, this just, I think, I know I have chatter. And I have chatter, like, did you prepare for this? What is, what? Are you ready for the, you know, I had a board meeting Wednesday. Are you ready? Did you really break down this number enough? Do you know the, the variable? And then what, you know, the, the number of things you want to cover the last three months of what happened in a three-hour meeting with really smart, good people who have great questions to ask. Right. You can't possibly answer them all, but you got, you know, in the back of your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, am I going to get an A on the test? Did I get, did I get, it, did I get it right? And that chatter almost stops me from being present for the meeting itself. Like, did I get the answer right? Did I, I, you know? And boy, when I used to do Hannaford board meetings, I couldn't sleep the night before. You know, yeah, it was just miserable for me. I mean, just a quick, you know, for me, the chatter in in my book, This Is It, I I propose that there's a creature inside me, my shadow child, which our our mutual friend, Melissa Yahaya, gave me the concept of shadow child. And that's where the chatter comes from. It's, it's, this, it's this little boy inside me that is afraid of failing, afraid of being found out as an imposter or a fraud, you know, afraid of people not liking me, afraid of the board thinking I'm an idiot. And so, it, you know, there's a constant, and even later in life where I've done a lot of work to, to, to get to know the true me, not the shadow child me. It's remarkable to me how the shadow child, that chatter is still, is still with me. Like, I don't know if you find that, you know, it's still there. Like you can't, you're never exempt from it, right? Yeah, I, I'm not. I, I've settled into the idea that my, my brain, my brain that, that talks to me, you know, the, the conversations I have with myself, I've come to view it as a stage. Usually I can only maintain one conversation at a time. 
on the stage. So frequently I had a conversation where it was like, uh, for lack of a better word, the archetype of a bully and an archetype of a victim. Like, I'm not going to do it right. That's right. So you got to work harder or, you know, yeah. So you fucked it up. That sort of reinforcement. And I found that I could, if I could create another conversation in my, on the stage of my mind, then that there wasn't room for both of them. Hmm. And so what started the convert, the an alternative conversation for me was something that I, I call my honoring friend. And that, uh, you know, I, I talk about honoring yourself in that joy book. And if my honoring friend is, is me, you know, like how I would treat you, somebody I care about, I would never talk to you the way I talk to myself in that bully victim thing. I would never fucking do that. So, so why am I doing it to myself? And then I can get in an argument, see, because you're stupid. You're doing it to yourself. You're an asshole. You know, whatever it is. And, and, and I'm back in that little rabbit hole, rat trap, um, trained or by right. nature. And so, but my honoring friend just asks questions. Like, so how do you feel? Is this really true to you? Right. Is that, is that really what you think? Do you have objective evidence to prove that you're an asshole? Right. And then there, to meet that voice, like... It doesn't really engage with the bully. It just goes quiet. It doesn't really engage with the victim. It just goes quiet. And they go back to their little raging for a while. And the thing that, that I find that works with the honoring, honoring friend is the engaged self. So I want to do better. I want to practice something new. And I'm the thing waiting for a different, a different way. And so if I start a conversation between this honoring friend and my engaged self, both of them me, because I know how to be an honoring friend to other people, mm-hmm. can I be one to myself? Well, yes, I can if, if I'm willing to engage and look at, look at trying something different than how my biases, my training or whatever it is would lead me, my fear impulse. Can I give myself a little time to reflect and think, well, what would I do if I was going to do something different? Could I talk to myself like I would talk to a friend? Yeah. And then say, okay, so the next time somebody yells at me, or it sounds like they're yelling at me, because it's going to happen, what do I, how do I want to try? How does my engaged self want to, want to practice? And for me, I learned I had to call it practice because otherwise, you know, because my bully and victim would latch on to, I have to be perfect, Right. You know? Yes, you must be perfect. <laughs> and the very first time, too, baby. So, and then I, I try, I practice this thing, and then it's then the engaged self and honoring friend just go talk about how it was. Right. What What do I need to do to increase the conditions for success, better, better improvement? Right. And at the board meeting, we were talking about things that we've learned from COVID, and I was just talking about how messy. How messy changes, and but you can, you know, if you're willing to jump in and prioritize and make something, you know, important enough to focus attention and all the other things that's going on. Yeah, it's going to be messy the first time because you're doing it for the first time. But you know, each cycle you do it, it gets better and better and tighter and tighter, and and that's what, that's all it is. That's all it is in business. That's all it is in life. And. And I think we shortchange, I, I know I shortchange myself with my little rat brain. Something to, something to throw in there is, well, two things I want to 
bring up one is this, this desire to have the problem solved now. Yeah. And one thing I've learned about the evolution of me from where I was, which is a pretty broken place to where I am, is it's been a 20-year journey and I'm not done yet. Like there is actually no, it's not a binary broken, unbroken. It's, it's pretty a, exciting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I view the next, you know, X years, wherever I'm, however, however long I am on this planet, as I hope them to be just as profound and just as developmental and, and consequential, you know, as the first 20. But I think sort of how, you know, people, the importance of understanding that this is not binary, as I said, it's not, it's not was this way, now this way, done. It, it's this, this constant journey. And, and it's like you and me, like we are continuing to learn. I mean, Tom and I had a, a really interesting conversation the other day that they involved, we're talking about, my paraphrase is taking the bait. Remember that the conversation about taking the bait? And I had a very personal situation with my sister where she wrote an email, a text message, uh, not realizing actually that it was being sent to me or included my brother and I. And she basically threw my brother and I under the bus vis-a-vis taking care of how we're taking care of my mother. And instead, I took the bait. And so Tom and I had this really profound conversation about, well, why do we take the bait? And I actually want to come, come back around to that and explore that again. But the point being is that the learning for me is just as active today as it was, you know, 20 years ago. And I hope it remains as active. The other thing I wanted to talk about is this idea of society accelerating at an almost incomprehensible pace. Yes, driven in part by, in large part, probably by technology. And how, how have you, other than sheer will and sheer intelligence, force of personality, how have you, how can people learn to slow down? Like, how, how do you fight the incessant demands, these sort of incessant, the speed that we are surrounded with in every part of our life? Like, are there techniques that you, I mean, I, I think that the, the technique of sort of honoring self and engaged self, or your language there, but, but is there, you know, if you're a listener and you're out there going, ah, the speed of life is crushing me, and I and then I feel I feel no not you know no capacity to know me. I'm just drowning in too much. You know, any other like tips on how to how to begin to move to a, a slower place? I think it was Ben Franklin who said, "Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results is <laughs> insanity." Uh-huh. Um, so it's it's it really. For me, I, if, whenever I double down, it just gets worse. When I, I, I try to keep going faster, I just get right. the, the mess I got to clean up is bigger. The, and I, so I, I just observing that. And so, so the, it becomes, a, there reach, reach, you reach a point where the, the collateral damage is so large that you just go, why, why not try something else? Right. What, what have I got to lose? Right. And for everybody, that's different, right? Where, where that point is, is different. So, you know, some people will keep doubling down until they're wiped out because right. it's just that important to them. Right. And that's okay. You know, I'm not here to say what's right or wrong. I just, I, I just find that it's so uncomfortable for me that I choose to believe that that's, it's, there's another way. Right. And, you know, people will, you know, what is it? We'll, we'll talk about, 
you know, dropping out or something like that. But it's not, it's not like that because I think we're social animals and we like to be engaged and we, we care about so many things. And the, the, the trick is maybe not feeling responsible for everything. You know, you remember the first business you run when, ran when you took a vacation? Mm. You know, and like, it's all going to fall apart without me. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't, you know? Yeah. Choosing whatever the baby step is that works for you, because it's all, it's all baby steps. Right, right. And so experiment with something that isn't huge for you, you right. know? The idea of your 20-year journey and it con- continuing... You know, 20 years ago, I couldn't have taken on some of the things that I'm taking on now. Right. Just because it, it, it was just too big. It was just too big. I, it was too easy to take the bait. And so I needed, so it's like, I imagine these concentric circles. Like if I want to practice a new behavior on somebody, do it with a stranger. They don't know anything different about you. Right. If you want to try a new behavior and get and light people up, do it with people that you're closest to. No, they're they're going to be they're going to be the most upset because they're used to a certain groove, right. a certain pattern response from you. Right. And you're trying something new, so it flames it. It just increases exponentially and makes it for me like I don't want to try it again. So so if I you know think about concentric circles or strangers is the easiest, and then maybe it's acquaintances and then yeah yeah, yeah. oh it gets harder off. right. Yeah, it gets harder the with the people that you spend the most time with, say at work or at home. Because um, there's because there's something at risk, right? Like for them immediately. You know, you think about it. We were talking the last time we caught up about my family, multi generational family place in Maine, and we're so lucky to have it. And at the same time, I'm not sure what's my relationship with it. Me, right. you know, I know how to do a lot of work up there. I know that I like to do the things that we do up there, but is that really what I want to be doing or is it just something I'm trained to be doing? Right. And, and so, so the first, for somebody who's just starting out, be nice to yourself, pick something easy to try something new on yeah, yeah. and, and try it with less consequences. We choose the high stakes, high consequence thing, but we don't have to. No. And it, for me, it, by choosing the things, the easy things first, I build up I build up the muscle so that I'm I'm better able to handle than when the bait is swung in front of me. And well, you know, it's funny, Kate and I, so for the audience, I, I I was divorced twenty years ago and got remarried almost nine years ago to a lovely human being by the name of Kate Gilbert. And we have a great relationship that does include spats and um, and arguments every now and then and <laughs> It's so interesting because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very proud of the awareness I have learned, built up within myself about myself and about others and situations. And yet, when Kate and I disagree about something, it is remarkable how all that I have learned goes out the window and I take the bait, to, to use the term we've been using. Like, I take it hard I take the hook, I take the line, I take the fishing rod, <laughs> I take the whole thing. And this is on the back of me working on going into these situations with an intention of not taking the bait and being above it, being open, being patient, being a listener. And 99% of the time I end up still, and, and Kate does too. And we've now, we now talk about this whole idea of each of us taking the bait, but it's just, 
I guess the point there is, is it's a, it's a, it's an ongoing journey. Right. And, and, and at least I'm, you know, I'm instead of like beating myself up for taking the bait every time I'm, I'm, Oh, I took the bait. You yeah. you, know, you can say that to Kate. I just took the bait. I took the bait. Sorry about that. Laura and I laughed because we, a few years ago, we realized we were just, we'd get into arguments about who's, who's the biggest victim. So they deserve the help <laughs> of the other person, right? I've done more than you. You should help me. You know, <laughs> we're, we're starting to do this laundry list. And, and at one point we just started laughing because we realized the absurdity of what we were doing. Like, right. we're, you know, if, if we just did the thing, we'd be done, you know? Right. And, and, it, it will never win in our relationship if what we're doing is talking about what the other one owes us because I did this. Um, so I better be doing what I fucking want to be doing. Right. If I'm not doing what I want to be doing, I better be learning a shit ton from it. And if I'm not learning things and I don't want to be doing it, I better find something else to do. You said something the other day when we were talking about taking the bait that, that's really stuck with me. And I, I hope you hope I'm, you can remember, but it, the, the gist of it was by not taking the bait, not only are you avoiding probably a ineffective, painful, non-productive, you know, interaction with whomever about whatever, but by not taking the bait, you are better honoring yourself, better respecting your, this is my paraphrasing, better respecting you, better respecting your time. Like it's just, for you, it's a better decision. It's not just about a better decision for the other person that you're you're going to scream at, but it's actually a better decision for you. It saves it, so much you, time. But talk a little like that's the kind of what you said. I'd love to just have you ex- expand on that a little bit for people, and I and I'd love whoever's listening to really listen to this because it's a very different view of what is a very common situation in all of our lives, which is taking the bait. No, by experimenting and practicing and by having a honoring friend asking me, well, how did that feel? No, and or noticing that after I ripped somebody's face off, it may have felt good in the moment. It I kind of felt shitty about it. And there was stuff and it would keep me up, say at night. And then there I would need to do cleanup work after that. And I need to rationalize how I'm still a nice guy, even though I ripped this person's face off. By the way, I did all those things with my sister the other day. Like all the, everything you just described, I went through. It's like seven stages of grief applied to taking the bait. And it, and for me, it was just like, okay, so can you, you know, what I, what I saw is what I experienced was I saved myself all this time by not taking the bait. So I think I told you the story of, you know, my brother saying to me, I, I said I did something really important. And when my father was on his deathbed, I had checked on something. And my older brother said, now assuming that Tom actually did that. Oh <laughs> and I, I described to you the experience of just watching that go by, just sort of getting out of the way of like this laser thing. But he actually wasn't, I knew he wasn't trying to hit me with anything. He was just processing and he's more extroverted than I am. And that was his way of processing. But before in my life, I would have taken it as a personal affront and gone into, gone into battle with him. And it saved, oh, the amount of time it saved and just watching it with the responsibility that I felt that I had with my father's death to meet it in an honoring way 
and meet other people's feelings in this honoring way. And if I'm doing it, feeling like I'm holding my breath the whole time and I really want to say, hey, you fuckwad, why'd you do that? I can't hold it in. It's not possible. But if I'm really like, oh, that's where they're coming from. And I'm glad they're here and they're, you know, Mm -hmm. they're helping in this way. They can do this, but they can't do that. I can do this, but I can't do that. I'd have, you know, my younger daughter saying, hey, you really need to know more about meds than I would ever know. Hey, you need to be doing this. And I'd say, I hear you. I can't solve it in the next 15 minutes. I need, you know, a little more time. Because my immediate reaction, that pressure would start to build. I couldn't, wouldn't be able to contain it. And then I'd puke on somebody, you know, flame on. And one of the things that first really stimulated my thinking about this as an experiment was in uh, Sark's book called Inspiration Sandwich. I don't know. I read it maybe 20, 25 years ago for the first time. And she borrows, I wish I could remember the author's name, My Life in Seven Short short Chapters. Hmm. And the first chapter is, I'm in a really deep, dark hole and it really sucks and I can't get out. The second chapter is, I'm in a really deep, dark hole and there I can see light and maybe Hmm. there's a chance I could get out. What's the name of the book? This book is Sark. She goes by Sark and she colors on the pages and handwrites them. And it's Inspiration Sandwich. And this is the biggest thing I pulled from it. And then it it just really stuck with me. The third chapter is, it really, she has it on a quarter of a page of her book, this seven chapter story by this other person. And the third chapter is, I'm in a really deep hole. I I figured out a way to climb out. It was really fucking hard and it took me all this time and I'm, I'm out of the hole. And now I'm walking on the street. And then the next chapter is, oh, I fell into the hole again. (laughs) (laughs) And it took me, it was really hard and it sucked falling in. It took me a long time to get out. Then the next chapter is, oh, I was walking down the street. I fell in. I knew this is the same old hole. I got out really quickly. And the next next chapter is, I'm walking down the street. I see the hole. I walk around it. And the last chapter is, I walk down a different street. And so the, the, the whole idea of this, the, this, the, drama for the, the drama that I create that I think is relationship because of my own internal chatter and applying that to somebody else. I think we talked about last week, you know, if, go to an airport with a priest collar on, see, what, how, see how people react to you. I mean, you know, everybody's got embedded assumptions. I've, I've probably got more than most. So, but if I can res, res, restrain them, but... I can't restrain them if I feel like I'm holding them back by sheer force. It's just if I learn through experimentation over time that it just wastes so much of my precious time. And, I, and as I've gotten older, I've realized I don't have a lot of it right. left. Right. I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to waste it. Mm-hmm. No, so I can, I can either be really stressed out all night thinking about this thing and how it should be different and how they're not right, or I can get a good night's sleep and meet the world as I am, as alertly as I can and try to, if somebody is upset around me, see if that's something they want to solve or they don't want to solve. If they don't want to solve it, I go down a different street. If they want to solve it, you know, all I've got to do is ask a simple question. I was talking with a a co-worker yesterday and uh, she's a project manager for us and and we've got issues with this outside group that we're using and and basically, we've told them that they don't listen. And they say, no, we do listen. We listen. We listen good. <laughs> and hey, can you tell us where we didn't listen? Sure. We'll give you something. Well, well, that wasn't the way it was. It's like, 
you know, it, it, there's a Sufi story that I related to her. And I don't know if you've read any Sufi stuff, but yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the land of fools is w- me when I'm in my, you know, rat brain thinking. I'm in the land of fools. And this guy finds himself in the land of fools and there's a woman with a door on her back. And he stops her and goes, hey, why is the door on your back? And she said, well, my husband said to not let anyone pass the door. <laughs> and he goes, hmm, would you like me to tell you something that would help you know that you don't have to carry a door on your back? And she said, no, I'm only interested if you tell me how to make the door lighter, right? And so they both looked at each other, realized they couldn't help each other and went on their way. Right. So another favorite of mine is a watermelon hunter, What's which that? is which is a, a guy shows up in the land of fools and sees all these people scared behind a building going, there's a monster in that patch, that field, and it's going to eat us. And he looks and he goes, this? And they go, yeah. He goes, well, it's a watermelon. He takes out his knife, cuts a slice out of it and eats it. And they all get huge bug eyes. And they go, he's going to kill us next. He killed the monster. Now he's going to kill us. And they chase him out of town with pitchforks. He barely gets out of there with his life. Story goes on. Another guy comes and uh, comes to the town. And everybody's like, there's a monster behind here, you know, out in the patch. And he goes, you're right. He knows it's a watermelon, but he goes, you're right. There's a monster. Let's get away from this place. And then he lives with them. And slowly over time convinces them that, and teaches them that not only is watermelon good to eat, but how to cultivate watermelon. Oh, funny. With hopefully organic seeds. Yes, 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 yes. We're back full circle. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I, I you know, I really like the door. I mean, I like both of those stories, but I like the, uh, you know, can you just make my door, the door lighter? <laughs> and they got nothing to say to each other. They're just... It, they, they realize that rather than continuing the conversation. Right. That, that's, the, that's the beauty. They're not trying to, he doesn't try to tell her, well, you're being really stupid. He just right. goes, I guess you're going to be carrying the door. Right. And she doesn't say, tell me more that I don't want to hear. She's already said very clearly what she wants to hear. So you can test. I just like that watermelon story, but no, like, cute, yeah. a little bit off track. But, but you know, I, I've found ways to test if somebody really wants to listen. And what one of the things, I, boy, I started doing in the late 80s even, I learned because of a friend, that they really, when they were talking to me and telling me stories, they really didn't care what I thought. Right. So I started practicing pretending I couldn't hear people when they asked me a question. Just as an experiment, right? Just not, I, I, I just would just completely pretend that I didn't hear them. And they would, if they wanted an answer from me, they had to be persistent about asking me. And did most not actually want an answer? That's true. Yeah. No, most don't want to answer. They just want to tell their story and have you say, yeah, this really sucks. That's hard for you. Let me, you know, let me tell you about how things really suck for me. Yeah. I don't get uplifted. I don't feel better telling about how something sucks for me. No, I don't either. And I, I actually, I've come to realize that my direct response approach to any situation throws a lot of people off like just being direct like just and i think it's because they don't actually want a response i'm just echoing what you said yeah you've got the door and they don't they don't want any new information they just yeah just just maybe show me how to make the door a little lighter yeah i I want to be mindful of your time and and i just want to sort of wrap it up with something that's come up with in 
in the other conversations I've had this week, almost all of them, both podcast related and not. And that is this idea of, of you can't go forward on the work that we've been talking about, which is really life work because it's never, it never ends without others that, that you do need those that can listen and those that can help and those that can support. And those, you know, I think Parker Palmer refers to it as the circle of trust, but having people in your life, which doesn't necessarily mean they're in your life every day. I mean, Tom and I haven't talked in, I don't know, up until recently, probably a couple of years, maybe, I don't know, but there are people that have the capacity to, as I said, listen, people who are on their own journey, you know, people who are unconditionally supportive, which doesn't mean they aren't challenging, but they're, they're, you know, they're with you through thick or thin. I mean, you, I assume you agree with that declaration or statement, maybe. Or have you always got, done, done it, gone it alone? It's an interesting thing. I try to imagine that who I love unconditionally or support unconditionally. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm trapped with this person, with this, this, animal part of me right the rat, the rat brain the rat brain so you know i can overcoming it's the wrong word i can accept it mm-hmm. and, and move on and keep managing and working with it um and working with myself the thing about i think we absolutely need uh, i need other people i i love people i i i love spending time with people and i there are uh, one of the saddest things about COVID for me was I've got a dear friend from high school and it was the first time in my life, even though we might go, there are periods of time, you know, I was, we were best men in each other's weddings. There were a period of time, five years where we wouldn't talk to each other, but I always knew that I could see Doug. Mm-hmm. He'd just get on a plane or get in a car and see Doug. And with COVID, I couldn't get just get in a car. Yeah. See yeah. Doug. And it, it made me really sad. Yeah. So I love, I love Doug. I don't know if we'd ever have a conversation like this, but I love him and I know he supports me and back, yeah. back, and, back and forth. But I, I really come back to that aloneness and knowing yourself. Mm-hmm. There's, I've had to find my own voice in the cacophony of voices. If I don't know who I am and what I, what I want, oh my God, just, just I, think, I think it's deeply scary for me to to say what i want and uh that's a, been a journey now for 15 years and i you know i keep getting closer and people help me on that mm-hmm. you know so some strangers can help you on it because you go wait i don't want that i know i don't want that but what do i want so i the, yeah. Yeah. the interdependency and the connectedness is is a, is absolutely essential i i I don't think I'd exist if other people didn't exist. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, the what you want thing. My first marriage failed, not because we didn't love each other, but because neither of us could tell each other what we wanted. Either because we actually didn't know, we had not done the work to begin to get a sense of it, and because we were afraid to declare what we wanted about any aspect of anything. You know, it wasn't like a material goods thing. It was actually. Yeah, probably the biggest moment. And since my kids have been born and they're in their mid 20s now, but after their birth was when I, um, I got asked by, I had, I had a teacher and the teacher 
no doubt saved my life. And I'd been through class long enough with her and trusted her. I mean, just five years of steady study and daily work. We were in the class with everybody sitting around and I had said something joking because she wanted everybody to state something sort of as an affirmation at the opening of, of class for the advanced students in quotation marks. Who knows who's advanced, but she said something and I about, somebody said something really great about what they wanted to get out of the weekend. And I uh, leaned over and I made a joke to somebody next to me. Like, I, I'm never going to be able to, I, I can't come up with something that good. And in my whole life, if there's a circle of people and everybody's got to say what their name is and where they're from, you, you know, you saw me choke up at the beginning of this, mm-hmm. just trying to say what high mowing seed was. I'm spending a, a major chunk of my life doing it. And I, I stumbled in saying what it was. And she heard me and she just looked at me and she said, all right, Tom, we all want to know what you want. And everybody stopped. Every, there were mm-hmm. 25 other people in the class. This, we need to know what you want. I get like, oh. She goes, uh, I said, oh, uh, uh, and I went really quickly and I went as metaphysical as I could in the moment. I went, Grace, I want Grace. That's what I want. I want Grace. <laughs> and she's like, oh my God. She goes, she goes, that's not what you want. We're going we're gonna to wait. The whole class is going to Oh gonna- my God. Tom, my hands are getting clammy. She said, she said, we're going to wait. We, we're going to wait the whole, whole night until you tell us what you want. It doesn't matter. We're not doing anything else. And I said, and I, and I also knew. Oh my God. I also knew somehow that if I said what I wanted, what I really wanted, I was going to get it, which scared me even more. Oh yeah. And so I'm thinking, I want a Porsche. I want a couple hundred million bucks. I want to get laid whenever I want, right? I'm thinking, and, I, and I, as these things are zipping through my mind, I'm throwing them in the trash bin as fast as they're coming in. And then I, I said, I, I don't know, because I wanted, and she went, no, no, Tom, I'm serious. We're going to sit here. Everybody here wants to know what you want. How old were you? I was 44 years old. All right. And, uh, and then I, I leaned in, I started breaking a sweat. I was, you know, going as, you know, it was all about meditation and stuff. And so I, I, I said, okay, I better, I'm going to be here until I'm done. I might as well be still and see what I have to say beyond the, the rap, you know, rap brain. Rap, rap brain stuff, right. And then I got it. And I, uh, I said, uh, I said, I want to be myself without being afraid. Amen. And she said, that's it. Pointed at me. And then uh, we went on with class. Amen. So, Amen. I think that is a perfect way to wrap this up. That is, the, for me, that is what I want. I think that is what millions want, maybe even billions, to be, uh, to be okay with who you are. And it makes me love all these other people so much. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, fuck. Yeah, I mean, for me, and then, and then we should shut up and let, get back to work, I guess, but it's it's been incredibly empowering and not in the trite use of that like like my my capacity to to listen to connect with people to be creative to love to understand i mean i'm not i'm by no means perfect in any of those things but my it's it's like exponentially impacted all those capacities just by getting getting to a place where i'm not i'm not afraid when we're all, i'm always working on it Right. Always. Right. 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 Yeah. 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 It's not, yeah, it's not a flicking of a switch for sure.
But knowing that that's what I want, it helps, it helps pull me. So back to, you know, wanting to rip, do I really want to rip somebody's face off or do I want to, want to be myself without being afraid? Right. Yeah. Is your book still in publication? Can people buy it? People could get it from me by writing my email. Um, Okay. TomFerber at gmail.com. Okay. Um, And the, sorry, go ahead. The title again. Joy, it's your choice, really. I'm work, currently working on a on another book that's going to be, yeah, and I may never do anything with it, but it, it's it's been a real master for me and working through this stuff. Yeah, so for the audience, I, I can't underscore enough the level of depth, I think, and perspective. My view, Tom has achieved at this, at this thing called living and the journey of life and I highly recommend you reach out to him if to read that book. And he, he's just an incredible, he's a big heart and a big brain. And I am honored to be his friend and just so appreciative of the role you have had in my journey. And I look forward to sharing our journeys, you know, in the, in the, in the years ahead. And hopefully there are many years. <laughs> I'm counting on it. I'm <laughs> counting on it. Uh, I just, I love all our conversations, Chris. And uh, it's really lovely, lovely to be to be pushed and to really have somebody who wants to know what I think. And I do. And I think a lot of other people do, too. So thank you for joining me. I love you much. And uh, I will be in contact soon because I don't want another two years to go by. (laughs) All right, Chris. Thanks for listening today. If you're in search of more opportunities to realize positive change in your life or work, and you find what I have to say helpful, you can always subscribe to my show, check out one of my new salons that are weekly virtual gatherings of like-minded folks. You can read some of my writings or just listen to one of the talks that I've given around the world over the last couple of years. And you can do it all at chriscolbert.com. While you're there, make sure to sign up for my ongoing email updates. When you do, you'll receive a free copy of the first chapter of my about-to-be-published book, Technology is Dead. Again, it's all available at chriscolbert.com. Thanks again for listening today, and I look forward to connecting more in the days ahead.